recording? We're recording. It's us. We're here. We are here. Can I tell you, I've been watching this spider make slow, steady progress across. I got these, like, I guess it's double pane windows and there's a spider inside the panes and he's weaving webs. And I've just been watching him like take over a small region of my window space for like the past three weeks. It's actually funny you said that. So I have a huge spider that is outside of my house that I've taken pictures of every night. But then when I go back downstairs during the daytime, he's gone. And But like three nights in a row now, he's back in the same spot every night. And I'm like, am I just not seeing his web? I'm very confused. It's hard. It, it is. And by the way, did I also mention I absolutely hate spiders and I'm generally not like, um, I, no, thank you. Like... I might have to move just because of the spider. <laughs> it's just, I was just going to say, you're one of those people. We have to move now. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, welcome to SpiderCast, where each week... <laughs> <laughs> we talk about the spider that has scared us out of our current homes. Well, Jeremy, how are you now, actually? Actually, I'm, uh, I'm doing all right. Uh, although the temperatures are starting to you know, drop down a little bit up here. Got a little... I think fall is coming. Oh, yeah. Well... Uh, it's it's still hot here, but I can tell you what was not hot was any of my takes on the movies for our list this week. Like, not even a little bit. No, I had a weird... I got like the first three, I think a few minutes after we decided what we were going to do. And then the last took a little bit of time because I was, I, I was like not bending rules this time around, which I think I should have, but I'm actually happy with the content we've got. So I'm okay... You know, I'm trying to be a bit more flexible, but uh, I, I, we'll see where this one goes. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah, fair enough. I was the opposite this week where I had nothing and then wound up with a bunch, but I don't think any of them are particularly great. But that's kind of the point of the list this week. So that's totally fine. All right. And uh, this week we've got our new little uh, inspired segment here. Yes. What What is that segment, Chair? Uh, well, it, it needs a better name, but right now I've, I, I called it Welcome to the 80s, JT. And based on some of the conversations we've been having, we realized, and, and your feedback candidly from, uh, from various texts and emails we've received, people seem to really enjoy a bit of our banter around those, those 80s movies. And while we were brainstorming, I was like, you know, I've seen so many of these weird 80s era movies that you've probably not only never heard of, like Xanadont, uh, but so many others that are all equal Xanadonts. And um, I thought of... What if we have a time where I try my best to remember what the movie was without much inspiration, describe it to you, and the question at the end becomes, JT, will you watch that movie? I'm very excited because I can tell you that I am almost positive I will not know most of these. Uh, however, I, I got to tell you, personally, I laughed so hard at, at you during the, the Xanadu process. Like, that was such a great description, and it sounded so absurd that I did wind up going and, like, watching more than I'd like to admit of YouTube clips of it. And it was as ridiculous as I hoped. Yeah. And actually kind of great. <laughs> it's, that, that's about right. Yeah. Kind of ridiculous, kind of great. What I, what I enjoyed is, by the way, I was getting texts from people there like, you're going to go with Xanadu on this one, aren't you? <laughs> like, they, like they knew. They knew it was coming. I actually did not yet get a chance to show it to the family. We watched Twins instead, which is another 80s bit of glory mm. um, that actually in a weird way held up a bit better than I expected it to. Have you, have you seen Twins? Oh, yeah. Twins I've seen. All right. I figured it. I figured like it's not obscure 80s. Twins is sort of mainstream 80s. But yeah. today's movie is, well, 
I don't know what mainstream 80s really means, but here we go. Ready? I'm ready. All right, JT. The question is, will you watch Critters? Have you heard of Critters? Okay. Heard of, Yeah. not seen. Great. Uh, I can't imagine why not, but this delight from, so, okay, again, to set this up, I did a tiny amount of research for some, for some absolute facts just to have them for our conversation, but I haven't watched a preview. I've avoided rereading synopses. So this is like childhood memory at its best or worst. So the movie came out on April 11th, 1986, puts me at 13 years old. Uh, its Metacritic score is a is a blazing fifty three, so Ooh. not actually as far down as I thought. I would have put this somewhere in the thirties, would be my guess. I'll talk about the cast first. So a young Scott Grimes, who you might know from Party of Five, yeah. he's done a lot of uh, voiceover work in Family Guy and The Orville. Uh, M M M. This is what oh, this is a mouthful. M Emmett Walsh, who's one of those character actors. He's a he's a know that guy. He's been in I think a thousand movies. I know him best as actually one of the the doctor and Fletch um, for the Moon River scene. Uh, he was also in Blade Runner. I mean, he's done a lot of movies still to this day. Uh, a woman named Dee Wallace, who was the mom of Scotty Grimes in this movie, and was also the mom in E.T. Oh, okay. That's why I know that name. I knew that name. Couldn't have placed it for the life of me. And, and her too, by the way, like a thousand movies to her name. Uh, a young Billy Zane. Okay. Whose name has come up more on this podcast than his career deserves. And I, no disrespect if Billy Zane would ever listen. Uh, I'd love for Billy Zane to listen to our podcast. But yeah. surprising uh, recurrence. Uh, a young Terrence Mann, who's one of those actors. Now, you're only thinking of the name probably because of Field of Dreams. Yep. Right. <laughs> Which I remember at the time being like, I think there really is a Terrence Mann actor. Uh, and there is. He started okay. Critters. But he's actually much better known for his Broadway roles uh, in Cats. He was the Broadway debut of Javert in Les Mis. And he was also the Beast in Beauty and the Beast and oh, wow. uh, was nominated for three Tonys. So he's, he's, he's better than his Critters career would let us think. That's like a resume resume for Broadway. Right? Uh, yeah. He also did a Sense8, which I haven't watched on Netflix, but I've heard interesting things about. I have interesting things to say about it, but we will keep that for another time. All right, so that's our cast. The director okay. is one Stephen Herrick, who I've never heard of before. But check out his resume. Critters was his first movie, his directorial debut. But that landed him Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Excellent! He also did Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Love that movie. The top five from our top five not actually making an episode about hockey movies list, Mighty Ducks. Oh, I love this guy. Right? Mr. Holland's <laughs> Opus, which is one of my like early 90s favorites. Love that movie. And then for some reason, like I think all he's done is like direct to DVD stuff ever since. He peaked at Mr. Holland's Opus, and I can't explain it. In fact, I went looking to uh, this got me, I went down the whole internet rabbit hole trying to find out why did this guy's career stall out when it seemed to be going so exceptionally well. And no answers. So if anyone knows more about Stephen Herrick, please let us know. Cause you know, he did some of our favorite stuff. That's a crazy good run to just disappear from. Like, that's a really solid run. Yeah, I agree. Huh. Yeah. Like, I would watch all of the movies I just named right now. For sure. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, Critters in two minutes or less. <laughs> I was going to do... Okay, here's how I'm going to start this. Think if you might... What if we had Gremlins meets E.T. meets 
Children of the Corn. And I keep trying to throw one last thing in there, but I kind of end up with something like T2, and that's not really the right place to be. So we're just going to go with those three in a really not-so-great way. And in all three of the movies I just named, including Children of the Corn, it is not nearly as watchable as all three of those movies. Okay, I was going to say, because all three of those movies, I'm into. All right. So there's this town somewhere in the Midwest. I'm assuming Midwest could be more like farm country. And sure enough, these critters are in town. They're these little uh, picture, maybe like a soccer or a basketball shaped uh, object covered in fur. And then actually has these like little beady eyes and this humongous mouthful of teeth, of course. Of course. Uh, right. And these things attack uh, on their own as well as in packs. And they obviously just kill everything in their path. They are aliens have landed from outer space. Uh, this part, by the way, of the story, I'm completely sure about. We'll, we'll, as we go on, it'll become a little vaguer. Uh, is that the word? Uh, hijinks and shenanigans ensue, as one would assume. There's, uh, I'm assuming there's all the, the, the reaction moments that you'd expect it comes in through someone's farmhouse. There's, I'm sure there's an outhouse scene in this movie. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Uh, but picture sort of like the gremlins, but only when they're not cute at all and doing nothing, like just doing the nasty stuff. But less, a little less pranky and a little bit more like eating people. Okay. Anyhow, uh, another another sh- thing falls from space, meteor-like, and it's these two alien bounty hunters coming to find the critters because the critters are basically like the scourge of the universe or maybe just galaxy. I don't know how how wide our our, our realm is here. And so these two bounty hunters are there to go track down all the critters. Uh, they're shapeshifters, of course. Uh, and naturally assume the, the the same shapes and identities of the family that whose farm they've landed near. And that's where we meet the mom and the dad. So this actor, Terrence Mann, plays one of the bounty hunter guys. Um, for some reason, in my childhood visions, like he is just like this big, bad hero dude from outer space okay. with a big gun. And I, I want to say like a duster or some kind of, kind of trench coat. I'm getting real cable vibes from the way you're describing him. Oh, yeah, because I saw it on cable like 80 times. It's sort of one of my (laughs) go-to movies to talk about, like how 80s kids had to watch these terrible movies on cable over and over again. So this is hilarious. I meant cable from Marvel, but that also works. Oh, (laughs) Ah, a little little double entendre. Anyhow... The uh, the the bounty the 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 kid the Scotty Grimes ki- figures out that these aliens are not his his dad and uncle I can't remember what the other one is uh, and re- and somehow figure out they're here to come kill the the space guys and plays a little of that almost weakened at Bernie style like no, no no that's not dad that's dad we're not working more of like multiplicity I don't know if you ever saw that Ooh, yeah I did. all right so there you know lots of action sequences and of course you know they save the day as you do. But what I do remember is lots of stuff in farms and farm fields and just a tremendous quantity of jump scares. Okay. In, in my research, however, it turns out there's only there's very little on-screen violence. They've only killed like there's only two deaths on screen at all. And, and even that's not apparently very much of a big deal. Um, I don't really remember how it ends. I, I know that they leave and there's like one critter left behind because they're sequels. And uh, that's critters. Okay. So what do you think? What do you think, JT? You want to see Critters? So I think I do. Okay. I think I do because you hit a lot of like 80s vibes of like it, it touches on a lot of movies from that era that I think 
that I definitely do enjoy that sound fun. Yeah. And so if they can weave enough of them together to make a non-plausible but fun enough story, I think there's a nostalgic viewing purpose of this that would probably be really fun for me. All right. I want to hear about it. I'm pretty sure the music's a combination of synth pop and uh, there's just got to be like either a John Mellencamp. Friend, you had me at synth. You don't have to say (laughs) anything else. (laughs) All right, shall so there. There's our welcome to the '80s. Let us know uh, if if we're enjoying this segment because I in, in the five minutes after coming up with the idea, I've written down a list of I think we're at 33 movies, <laughs> of which I'm willing to bet you haven't even heard of like 20, and I've seen them all many times over. Yeah, I I definitely want I. I don't want to skew our audience, but I hope that you like this because I do. It's fun for me, for sure. <laughs> All right. Do we do coming up on next week's for this too? Should we leave a teaser? Uh, yeah. Why don't you leave a, leave a little teaser for the folks? Coming up next week on Will JT Watch It? Krull. Okay. Have you, have you, have you heard of Krull? I'm very familiar with Krull. Oh, you're familiar with Krull. Well, then maybe we strike. No, have not seen. Ah, Okay but very familiar with. You're going to see this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that leads us to things that we have seen. But this week, we're talking about things we have seen that we wish we hadn't. So the top five movies that never should have been made. So there's one very key distinction in this list that is important for everyone to know. The, The big thing that threw me off, personally, I don't want to speak for your list, but that made this hard was... It's not a movie you wish they would have made that they could make better or that they will remake. It's a movie they just shouldn't have done to begin with. Correct. That is what made it very hard for for moi because there's a lot of movies that I don't like, but it's not that I don't like the movie. I don't like the way they did the movie. I want them to make that movie just better. I hear you. And we had this conversation midweek because we were debating like, all right, are we following the same rules? And- if not, is that okay? We've, we've said, yes, it is. But also, is the content going to be good? Are we going to come up with a good list that's worth worthy of discussion? My list ended up being, I think, kind of interesting, but but a combination of very personal and very movie, movie-esque film talk. I don't know how to talk about that. I don't know what to mean. I need a word <laughs> okay. for that. Film, film, the study of film. I don't know what I would say because I'm not that sophisticated. But you know what I'm trying to get at. I got you. How about you, JP? Yeah, so mine was mine's going to take a much more fun route. So I actually really did struggle in the beginning of the week and then like had this moment of clarity where I was like, "Oh," and then just rambled through a whole bunch of like garbage, 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 garbage. So I have I think I definitely have a longer list than you. The one thing that is interesting is so we got to do Shawshank for this week, right? So the Shawshank is is there any movie that just immediately fills the genre out. And it's like, yes, that is clearly the answer for this. I have two. I don't have one. I have an entire series and type of movie that I want to put on the list. Well, I think the series might be the one I'm thinking of. Okay. So I just wrote down a couple of the movies that are in this, but it's not a series. It's a type of movie, basically. So I want to Shawshank, Meet the Spartans, epic movie, disaster movie, vampires, sucks, scary movie, two, three, four, five. Basically, anything that came after scary movie, get out. None of them are good. 
what do we call it? the the low it's like the low quality uh satire what, yeah what, yeah that yeah. whole genre of satirical is like there's a really funny way to do it where it's not so in your face anyone that is like a direct ripoff and just cheap laughs and they're cheap sophomoric like eight-year-old laughs they're not even like 12-year-old laughs and i just i can't right. they're just all bad so i i struck all of them from my list because otherwise it could have filled pages of just trash movies right. that should not have been created I, so i'd agree to it I, I actually didn't i don't watch any of those so i didn't have them on my, on my list uh and i think we're so we're on the same page that like scary movie one not another teen movie and hot shots would count as like good satirical yeah. takes on things and then like everything you just named is the just well, get basically literally everything else is bad yeah yeah that's fair all right. Well, I have I still have my two because that's not where I was going okay. with it. But I but I I accept that as an entry into the into the Shawshank list. Cool. What are your two? Uh, the first one is in fact a sequel. Uh, it is Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which I would argue is the might have been the biggest betrayal of beloved content ever. I can't think of a. I mean, even Godfather Three is is watchable especially on a comparative basis where crystal skulls in the mix. Yeah. On a comparative basis, it is, it is highly watchable. I, I would say crystal skull is one of those, like they should, they were, they had made themselves a great trilogy, never needed to come back to it, added no value. And they're making a fifth, which yeah. I would, I would have thought would have been good, but because four was so bad, it can't be good. Uh, accepted. Know. Absolutely accepted. So I, I had this on a, I had this on the list of like obvious, but wasn't going to bother getting into it because especially because I, I had a feeling that this would be more pat. You would be more passionate about this than I am. So accepted the other one. And it's a movie I've never seen, but just knowing it exists is in my, like we shouldn't have things like this. Like they don't, they like just don't need just unneeded. And that's a uh, human centipede. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it didn't even cross my yeah. mind, but sure. yeah, I'm fine with that. Just being not existed. Yeah. And that's about as much as I want to talk about that ever. That's the right answer to that. Yep. Moving on then. All right. So uh, who's up first this week, JT? I think you were the keeper of the action of the knowing of the stuff because you're smart. I believe it's me and I'm not smart, but I do have spreadsheets. Uh, so Ooh. I will go first. Uh, reminder to our listeners, we are playing the guessing game still. So three or four pieces of little bits of trivia uh, to see if the other person can guess. We'll try to move through them. Uh, but this one, I think this week will be particularly fun. Okay, so Jeremy, my first movie came out on November 11th, 2011. Okay. Uh, the bit character that I'm going to give you is Katie Holmes. Okay, is the date significant? Because it's a notable date. It's not. Okay. It's not. Katie Holmes in... Okay. Here's the big clue. The big clue is it is the second movie to sweep the Razzie Awards. Oh. It's not Jiggly? Jiggly? No, Jiggly. No, it's not Jiggly. (laughs) (laughs) I I never saw that one, so I don't know. Um... Ooh, I, I, you, you got me. Okay, so coming in at a whopping 3% on Rotten Tomatoes, Jack and Jill. Oh, the Adam Sandler thing. Yes. Yeah, I never, this was way in the, yeah, no, oh no. So there is, a, there is a thread to pull on here, which is that there is a number of Adam Sandler movies that fall into this category. None of them are as egregiously bad as this one. 
right? So reading through the cast, Tim Meadows, Nick Swartz, and David Spade, Norm McDonald, Dana Carvey, Christy Brinkley, Regis Philbin, Dan Patrick. All of that, for the most part, minus Christy Brinkley, sounds like an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. Decent cast. Here's the part that makes no sense. Yeah. Al Pacino. Why? Like, it is beyond me that they got Al Pacino to agree to be in this movie. However, they did. Uh, listen, I'm not going to get too far into this. The crazy part about this is, is a $20 million. Like, Adam Sandler got $20 million for making this movie. I have only seen it in pieces because I, this is one of those movies I knew from the outset. I'm like, that's horrible. So I've never sat down to watch it, but I have seen moments. And it's basically just him reimagining bit characters he's done other places to fit into a really poorly thought out plot. Uh, it's a bad idea for a movie. It was poorly executed. It's trash. Set it on fire. Don't do this. Fair enough. I love it. To the to the Pacino comment, by the way, do you know Michael Caine's quote from uh, his performance in Jaws 4, The Revenge? No. <laughs> so he was being interviewed. I might get this slightly wrong, but he was being interviewed and he was asked something like, what did he think about his role in, in the movie? Uh, and apparently his answer is something to the effect of, I've never seen it in its entirety, but from everything I've heard, it's terrible. <laughs> However, I have seen the house that it built, and it is terrific. <laughs> yeah, look, I I get it. And and, and that's a, it's a, I'm sure Al Pacino has never seen this movie. Uh, but it is one of those things where just because of his and Michael Caine's in that same same vein, right? Like you just think about the iconic roles that they've done, even the offset stuff that they do still feels deliberate. Here you go, man. Adam Sandler just makes comedies with his buddies so he can go on vacation. This one wasn't even on vacation. It's just a bad, bad movie with a bunch of his friends that and they somehow roped in Al Pacino. So Jack and Jill wipe it off the face of the planet. Done. It's gone. Perfect. All right. I'm going to be alternating things here so i'm going to do my first uh my first of three that are not uh movies that i have much affinity toward in either positive or negative but the reason i want them unmade is what they did to filmmaking Ooh, okay ah ah so uh the first one which i'm about to mention uh i have not seen oh okay so i have to be fair in the sense of I haven't watched it. So, to be fair... To be fair... People like this movie quite a bit. In fact, an 81 on Metascore. Uh, 81 Metacritic. Holy moly, okay. Came out July 30th, 1999. Okay. Um, it is... I, I could be wrong on this, so I'm not going to do this as like a definitive statement, but it is in the leagues of most profitable movies ever made. By serious margins. Is it Blair Witch? It is Blair Witch. Okay. And I would like Blair Witch unmade, not because of all the things, but because Blair Witch enabled Shaky Cam, and then Shaky Cam ruined the Bourne franchise, and so many, many other things. Yeah. And I'd like to just basically uninvent Shaky Cam <laughs> as a primary vehicle. It had been used in the past. It was being used in previous movies. It would be a way of, like, you're throwing yourself into the to the the character's perspective, right? Running down a hallway, often for horror movies or 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 certain thriller action sequences. Blair Witch Project sort of made it like, 
okay, we'll just do this for entire movies now. Mm-hmm. And shaky cam's got to go. And if that means we need to exist in an alternate universe where the Blair Witch Project didn't happen, that's the one I'll take. I- I'm going to take this a step further on your behalf as someone who's seen it. It's also a trash movie. Yeah, well, it stars a bunch of sticks. So how good could it be? Yeah, regardless of the, so this is one of those things where and I'm not I'm not using Memento in the same breath. But like if you watch Memento backwards, which is forwards, the story's not nearly as interesting, right? Like it's it sure. it works because of the way it was put together. Blair Witch, I honestly think kids of my generation, listen, 1999 is right in my wheelhouse. I'm 14. So that comes out, it's a big deal. And it's a big deal because it feels different and it looks different and it's weird, not because it's good. It's not right. good. It's a it's a garbage movie that affected people, and I agree with you, affected the industry in a really negative way. And I think it's a great movie to strike from the record. Thank you. <laughs> what is your next one? Okay. My next one came out on July 9th in 1993. I'm going to give you a little bit of one little thing. This is a sequel. 93. So the sequel came out in 93. Okay. I have a guess. Go ahead. Is there any chance it's Highlander 2, The Quickening? No, but that almost made the list. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No. So July 9th, 1993, Jonathan Silverman is who I'm going to give you as the actor. Jonathan Silverman. This is he's not the weekend at Bernie's guy, is he? He's the weekend at Bernie's guy. Oh, is it weekend at Bernie's too? Weekend at Bernie's too. <laughs> but it answered so many unanswered questions from the first. Here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> Let me explain real, real quick why this movie should not have been made. The main character was dead in the first one. In order to make him not dead, dead again. This whole movie's premise is based on a voodoo curse that brings him back to life. And for some unknown reason, he can dance. There is just the like, forget, like, it's a funny movie. It's supposed to be a joke. It doesn't need to be well written. This is just so dumb. And it's so dumb on a, on a, on a movie that the first one barely hung on to believability, but it sort of did. And it was like, this is funny. This is like a weird thing. It was such a stretch to to make this thing even exist that it just shouldn't exist. Yeah, I it, it's funny. I had forgotten that there was a sequel until, you know, about 45 seconds ago. Right. And um, the good news is hopefully within about 45 more seconds, I'll never think about it again. It was, you're right. It was, didn't need to be in any way. No. I mean, the only positive, I guess, that came out of this is like, it's the first time that Gary Dorton was ever in a feature film. He's one of the guys from CSI. He's actually done some really good work. Like, other than that, listen, the tagline of this movie was Bernie's back and he's still dead. Okay, I'm out. (laughs) Like, that's just so bad. It's so bad. This movie's so desperate. It's such a desperate movie and it makes me sad. (laughs) I love that description of it. (laughs) All right, I'm going to move to my second. I'm actually going to, I changed my mind. I'm going to do all three in a row of, um, because of what what they did for film. My next one will be, well, it's got a 46 on Metacritic, which is probably a number that most, that would surprise most people. I think it was insanely popular. I don't know how much money it made. Um, 29th of October, 2004. And I'll give you a little hint that timing is relevant. Okay. And it starred... Carrie Elwes. 
which is sort of a giveaway, but yeah, saw, saw, saw. Okay. So saw much as Blair Witch ushered in the era of shaky cam. Saw saw ushered in two things that. Uh, and by the way, I'm using the term. The thing that was in my head for all this was the Overton window. If you know the Overton window, changed the way dialogue works in, in general. The Overton window of movies has shifted from the three movies I'm picking, and I think to a detriment of audiences. So what Saw did was two things. One is it really ushered in the era of low low budget, shocky horror movies that that have sort of taken over a lot of the industry. Uh, it also ushered in um, extra gore, I would say. I, now, if I'm being really, really honest here, Pulp Fiction would actually be the pivotal moment that upped the, the ante on, on mass-scale violence in movies. But Pulp Fiction got away with it because it was Pulp Fiction. Like, it was an amazing movie in so many ways. Right. Well, Pulp Fiction, it wasn't the point. It happened right. during it. Right. But Saw was the first one where it was like the point was just grotesque gore, sort of. Yes, exactly. And now, because this has shifted the way all these things work and the way movies are being made, and because so much of Hollywood is about upping the ante, what I found is, look, I don't really care what happens in low-budget horror movies. I don't watch them. Everybody's welcome to watch what they want. But what I don't like is the amount of, of uh, visceral violence that has come to other movies. Like an example of a movie that I think wouldn't have been done quite as violently and in an era and, and the violence didn't contribute to the storytelling is Pan's Labyrinth. Mm. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which I think is a very good movie, has one scene in particular of basically the bad guy be clubbing someone to death with a, with a Coke can, with a Coke bottle. Uh, and it's really more visual than it needed to be. Yep. And, and this is my whole thing. It's like, we used to be able to tell these stories and we knew that horrific things might be happening off screen, but we kept them off screen and we let our audiences figure out what might be going on. And I think now it's sort of, you filmmakers feel like they almost have to show it. And I kind of would ask them to stop. I just, I don't think it adds most of the time. Your your way of saying it actually was great, JT, is that if you're making a Pulp Fiction and to make a Pulp Fiction, you absolutely have to show a certain thing happening, then do it, right? But if you don't, maybe not. Yeah, I think that's well said. I, I'm, I'm hopeful that Jordan Peele, John Krasinski are bringing back suspense horror movies, which is like high budget, well done. It's what you don't see that's scary, right? Right. Because the thing right. that jumps, like the thing that my sister loves horror movies and I, I have a hard time with them because gore makes me laugh. Like I, I don't enjoy it. I'm just like, that's dumb because I know it's not real, right? I walk in with that understanding. But I think that's really, it's a it's an interesting concept and I haven't really thought about how Saw probably is responsible for that, but you're, you're 100% right. Like there's all, like now the need to be grotesque is part of like, it's kind of baked in where jump scares are are not from that, right? That's the like right. it's an eye cover instead of a jump scare. Like jump scares are way more fun. The biggest jump scare I think I've ever had was in Big Mama's house when Terrence Howard appeared out of a window three beats after he was supposed to. Like they did the beat where he's gonna like all of a sudden someone's gonna show up and he yeah. didn't, and I relaxed. And in a in a movie with Martin Lawrence, I jumped thirty feet out of my seat. <laughs> Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that I think that jump scares are fine. If you're going to use them, use them. It's 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 a perfectly fine vehicle for for doing a thing. Um, but just don't gross me out all the time. That's yeah, all. I, I like that. I, I like 
I really like where you, where you took this because I didn't think of this at all. And now I'm rethinking my list going, oh, you know what I could have used, but this that's great. So my next one is is another, this is a prequel. Ooh. Okay. Uh, I almost promise you, you didn't see this movie. Uh, this came out on June 13th, 2003. Okay. Well, it's, uh, it's funny because you said prequel, so I'm obviously thinking Star Wars and they're obviously were in that time, but I know that's not what you're going with. It's not where I'm going with. Uh, so the, the bit actor I will give you is Eugene Levy. Okay. So the piece of information I'm going to give you is that Trey Parker and Matt Stone were lined up to write this and they were given $1.5 million to do so. And after working on it, they decided this isn't going to work and they gave the money back and walked away. Ooh. Uh, Is it one of the American Pie franchises? No, but Eugene Levy makes that a very good guess. Okay, so this is Dumb and Dumber-er when Harry met Lee. Oh. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Never saw this one either. Okay, so... I want to say one really quick thing. Eric Christian Olsen and Derek Richardson are the guys that had to play this. And I want to like, just take a hot minute to be like, this is a horrible job to get because these are two iconic characters with like exquisitely specific delivery from both amazing actors that played the actual roles. Right. Even though it's a silly, fun, like dumb, literally titled movie. Sure. It's really hard to do this. They actually didn't suck. Like they were okay. And the plot for this movie has chops, right? Harry and Lloyd meet because Harry needs someone to show him the ropes in school because he was homeschooled. He has to go to school now, enter Lloyd. They get recruited for a special needs program from Eugene Levy and his, like his girlfriend in the movie who are basically trying to like scam things, enter a high school reporter who's nosy. Like it's not a terrible trope. Like it kind of makes, like you could see how this could work. It was just all the jokes were so bad. Everything about it was bad. Eugene Levy was painful in this, which is weird because I, I adore that guy. I adore him. Yeah. Uh, it was just really, really, everything was so over-exaggerated and the, the jokes were so simple that it took all the fun out of it. And it was just such an, like, it's not a layup, right? Like, this is a this is an iconic movie that you're prequeling. Right. And I have a really hard time believing nobody sat down and went, Maybe, maybe not, right? <laughs> maybe we stop here. Because like it only had like it had a twenty million dollar budget, but like it's just it just makes no sense. Like doing this whole thing, like when Carrie and Daniels were like, "We're not going to do this." Like that should have been the first thing. They also just betrayed a bunch of the original story. Like according to this story's timeline, Harry and Lloyd were twenty four and twenty five in the in the first movie. Makes no sense. Oh no, that doesn't. It makes no sense. Like, but you are you are you are starting to sound a little bit like uh, Charlie and Always Sunny, like you know when he does this little <laughs> crime map. <laughs> yes, you're a little more invested in in the Dumb and Dumber franchises than I than I was expecting, JT. So the thing is, is that like when the <laughs> second one came out, they ignored this one and they just made their own plot devices based. They rewrote the history. Nothing says you shouldn't have made a movie. Then they made a movie in the series and undid what you did in that movie. It's just like, look, th- this particular movie was a big deal for kids of my generation, right? Jim Carrey. I, I hear you. Right in the world. Like this movie, I have dressed up as them two weddings in those tuxedos. It's a thing. Like right. it, it's a real thing. And this just absolutely stepped all over what could have been or just should not have been. So kill it with fire. I don't, just don't make it. Fair enough. Dumb and dumber. Um, which would have been a better 
Like just kept going with the errors. Yeah, yeah, they should have. Just lean into it as hard as humanly possible. That's the only thing that I could maybe have made it better. I don't know. It's so weird. So for me, three of three of my uh, movie Overton window shifters, which is now I'm, how I'm labeling this, is worth of a little, maybe even a blog post. I don't know if I only blogged again. All right. Um, comedy, July 15th, 1998. Okay. Insanely popular. 69 on Metacritic. Uh, let's see. It's, it's a pretty extensive cast, actually. Um, some cameos for you. Uh, Sarah Silverman was in it. Okay. Chris Chris Elliott was in it. Jeffrey Tambor was in it. But for the main, uh, let's go with Matt Matt Dillon. Wait, this is too late to be something about Mary, right? This is exactly something about Mary. Oh, interesting. I want to see where this is going. All right. Good comedy. I mean, I think a little overrated. It was. It was the. It, it's funny you're bringing up Dumb and Dumber because it's also by the uh, the same brothers there. Mm-hmm. Um, this for me was that movie that took uh, visual um, sexual situations into a whole new. Uh, we got to put all this stuff on screen in all the movies all the time now. We can't just again let our audiences have a thing to imagination. Now, don't get me wrong. It's sort of in the same category as Blair Witch, and in a way, saw it. It was like they did something nobody had done before on screen. They brought, they did. I mean, it was hysterical, right? We wouldn't have movies like Hangover and others that they all build from this. But I'd also argue that it shifted what we think is sort of normal to put on screen for comedic romantic situations to to a, an era that I consider. I use the term uncomfortable a lot in that it's become a lot more uncomfortable to watch certain types of content, even, even to be honest, mainstream sitcoms with either our parents or our children, depends on which generation you're, you're dealing with. Right. But there's a lot of content now, like you just sort of don't want to be on the couch next to your mom while you're watching a certain type of sequence. Just going to leave it at that. Yeah. that's. I know I don't. Totally fair. I know I don't. So, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an odd thing because, again, it's a movie that a lot of people love. And I'm not, I don't mean to take away from the love of the movie or even criticize the movie itself, just more of a, you know, and they couldn't have made the movie if they put some of those things back in the box. But by putting some of those things back in the box, you know, we wouldn't have some of the comedies we all love. But at the same time, I think we'd have a lot more comfortable television and movies. And I would make that trade. I would make that trade. Very interesting. I've never thought of this context that that something about Mary really did normalize a lot of this, but hearing you say it, it, it makes a lot of sense. I don't like this movie because I think Ben Stiller is the mutant offspring of comic genius. Uh, so that's a, a, <laughs> in a good way or not a good way, not a good way, not a good way. Okay. No, not a big Ben Stiller fan. But uh, that being said, this was like a defining movie for a, right. a number of reasons. And now thinking back, yeah, I think a big reason it was probably really funny to a lot of kids of my generation is it is for sure the first time we saw a lot of those plot devices, like the, yeah. of that stuff being part of it. So that's really interesting. I hadn't thought of that. Okay, yeah. I would also just get rid of this movie in general. So, so I'm okay with it. I, see, I thought you were going to go like ballistic on me for this one. No. I, I, had a, I had a hunch just that, you know, you were, you would have been like, 14-ish. Yeah. And I've got to assume 14-year-old JT was crying with laughter through most of this movie. Listen, there is a lot of my friends who probably 
given the opportunity, we'll still yell Franks and beans. Like that's still a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Although I would take Matt Dillon's fake teeth in a heartbeat. Um, That was just too good. There's a lot of actually very funny stuff in this, but overall, yeah, that's actually, it's funny. And now I I almost want to go back and and like watch it and be like, oh yeah, this really did spawn a whole new thing. That's, that's a good catch, Jer. I would not have caught that. Thanks buddy. Back to you. Okay. I'm going to give you, this is an interesting sort of segue into this. So, I'm breaking our rules. However, I feel good about it. Uh, there okay. are th- I'm using three movies as one movie. Are they related movies? Yes. There's a thread that make them all the same, but I'm going to give you all three dates. Okay. You just, get, you just got to guess one, right? So one came out October 2nd, 1998. One came out October 8th, 1999. One came out October 12th, 2001. Okay. I'm going to name a couple of people. There's not one person that's in all three, but they share casts in a very, very natural sort of way. Chris Kattan. <laughs> okay. Okay. Molly Shannon. Okay. Kip King. This is all those uh, SNL movies. So quite literally, I want to rid us of SNL movies basically post- Maybe like, or basically anything that came after like 94, they just shouldn't have been made. After Wayne's World. Yeah. Well, your, your three are Night at the Roxbury. Yep. Superstar. Yep. And was there a Pat movie? Because if there was, I would say the Pat movie. There was. That's earlier. But the third one was this, the, the Corky Romano, which was Chris Catania. Oh, character. yeah. Okay. Night at the Roxbury. The only two interesting things about that movie is that Eva Mendez, it was her first cinematic performance and she's a gem and Will Ferrell met his wife on it. Huh. Superstar, who cares? Corkin Romano, I cannot tell you how absolutely wild it is. The two things I found out about this. Number one is the only reason this film was greenlit was because the pending actor strike in 2000. So this movie was written in 10 days, filmed in June and wrapped by August. <laughs> I love that. Okay. If ever there's a, this is a bad idea, that storyline Here's the part that actually makes my brain hurt. Can, if you could think of someone, a, a writer of our generation, a film writer of our generation that should never touch a movie like this, does anybody come to mind? I mean, other than William Goldman, Chris McQuarrie, I don't know. Paul Thomas Anderson? Really? Paul Thomas Anderson was, was on the rewrite team. Wow. What? I just don't. I don't get it. Night at the Roxbury was 11% on Rotten Tomatoes. Superstar was 32%, the highest of these three. Corky Romano was seven. The run of SNL movies was so bad, okay? So this run here, prior to this one, there was Ladies Man, 11%. Blues Brothers 2000, shouldn't have been made, 45%. Uh, It's Pat and Stewart Saves His Family is 94, 95, 94, 96, something like that. Basically, everything, Blues Brothers, Wayne's World, Coneheads, Wayne's World 2, acceptable. This whole stretch, don't do it. MacGruber in 2010, I love. It's so dumb, and I actually think it's really funny. <laughs> but everything else, this whole run of movies that they produced were nightmares. Like, just don't, like, just because it's a good sketch doesn't mean it's good. So I uh, just get rid of them. Yeah, I, I think I agree. While you were talking, I was like, oh, we could do top five SNL movies, but it's like, there's probably only four and that's that. And you just named them. Yeah. I we're, I know we're missing one or two. There's a couple other good, decent ones in the mix that we're just not thinking of, but maybe clearly not so good that we have to think about them right now. Right. So I'll do my only sequel thing of the, of the group. Um, and for me, this was a don't remake, just don't do. Okay. It was kind of where they landed. 
I'm going to guess you'll, you'll figure them out pretty darn fast. Uh, they both came out in 2003. Oh, is this the Matrix? No, no. Yeah, it's the Matrix. Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Matrix sequels don't need to be. And and candidly, I don't want more of the universe. I didn't want more of the universe. I, I was. It's one of those, like, I was excited. And I went to see them, obviously, opening night for both. I think the third one is far worse than the second. Mm. Like, far, far worse. The second one, honestly, could have left the doors open to a decent ending of a trilogy. But they ended the first movie in a way that really didn't didn't deserve more story. And I think this also is in my my general world on thoughts about sequels where like there's something to be said for not knowing what happened. There's something to be said for leaving an ending a little open. You know, we talked about Fury Road last time uh, as a or a couple a couple weeks back as an example of a phenomenally done sequel that picks up a universe that you kind of didn't really necessarily know much or care about. And that's, I think, why it worked out okay. Agreed. Whereas when I think you try to take something so special and great, and I'm worried, actually, John Wick has done this pretty well. I'm worried that John Wick's going to deviate because three really is a weak, weaker entry of the of the three. Yeah, three's starting to not get good, bud. <laughs> right, and what's happening there is, I think, a similar thing, which is, and, and it's weird that they're both uh, Keanu, but it's that... Oh man, what if Bill and Ted does the same thing? I mean, it probably will, but poor Keanu. Right. It starts telling us stuff that we just w- was better off in our imagination. I guess maybe that's the the con- continuing theme here is I didn't need to know that how Neo goes and breaks through the Matrix and does stuff and whatever because I know he did. Like right. the ending of the Matrix tells you he goes and kicks all the robots' butts and whatever happens happens. Yeah. Right. Here they just overtell, and not only that, like the the they either overcomplicate or undercomplicate everything in the sequels. I love the ghost twins. I love the keymaster. I loved all these things, but then the stories they told them around them around them were, were just so empty. Yep, that just didn't need to be. I, I listen. I, I tend to agree. The this that trilogy for me suffers from the your first one was too good. Hands down, should have just left it alone. Okay, my last one. August 12th, 1988. Whoa. August 1988. Okay. I'm going to read the whole cast. <laughs> okay. Christine Ebersol. Okay. Jonathan Ward. Tina Caspery. Jade Caligari. Vinnie Torrenti. Martin West. These are, these are actors? These are actors. Hmm. All right. Uh, never heard of it so far. There is one of my favorite tropes of all time has to do with this and Paul Rudd. Oh, is this the Mac and me? Mac and me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's very funny. I want to hear yours. I had, I had toyed around with putting this on just as a joke to say that Paul Rudd couldn't have done his thing on the show. Right. But, uh, but I actually have never seen it. Yeah, so there's no reason for you to ever see this movie, by the way. Like, just save yourself the time. It's an absolute bummer. This is the only information you need to know about this movie. Six years, two months, one day. 2,254 days earlier. Can you guess what that was? Uh, I mean, it's got to be E.T. Because I know this is like the ripoff movie. E.T. So if you think about this movie in the construct of a better version came out six years earlier where there has been significant advancement in filmmaking and this movie still manages to be worse. 
forget it. This is such a bad movie, almost hysterically so. One of my favorite episodes of Mystery Science Theater 3000 of all time. And for sure, the Paul Rudd joke, it's probably going to wind up like in the email this week on Saturday because it's been a running thing for years and it's a great gag. The only bad thing about not having this movie is not having that joke. The only good thing about this movie is that that joke exists. Yeah, I think uh, I think I'm good with that. <laughs> Got nothing to say. Perfect. <laughs> um, but Paul Rudd, I love that guy. He's the best. Is that guy ever going to age? Nope. Okay. So my last pick, it was a very personal pick. JT, I'm going to going to take it down a little notch here. It was made June it was released June 4th, 1982. It has a meta, metacritic score of 79. It stars I don't think you've heard of her cuz I don't know how far her career went after this with Joe Beth Williams, but she was kind of big in the 80s. Uh, and a young Craig T. Nelson. Okay, so I'm a, I'm a coach fan. No idea who that lady is. 82. Now, it's directed by a man named, uh, I don't, I'm assuming it's pronounced Toby. It's T-O-B-E. Toby Hooper, who's famous for actually directing the te- original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, interesting. Didn't know that. Written by Steven Spielberg. Okay. Who wanted to direct it. It's a PG-rated horror movie. 82. Yeah. So the movie in question is 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 very well regarded. It's uh, it's called Poltergeist. Oh, okay. I've seen Poltergeist. Yeah. Well, when I saw Poltergeist, I was ah, we'll go with nine. Uh, I remember this distinctly. I was on a road trip with my mother and one of my mom's friends and her kids, and we were in a hotel room. And this was in the on demand or whatever was in the hotel room. And and the kids had one room and the adults had the other because. Uh, my mom's friend had one of her kids was older or no, we were separated to watch movies. We were sleeping in the same room. So we were separated to watch movies. So we were in this room and this kid, I don't know, I must've been 12 or 13 picked poltergeist. I'm in Washington DC in a strange hotel room. It's raining. Of course it is. <laughs> and this crazy scary movie with some of the most vivid horror scenes. I mean, anything in life that existed became horror as a result of this movie. Walking down the long hallway, clowns, trees, uh, uh, swimming pools. Um, what, I'm trying to remember. TV sets, just TV sets, closets. I didn't sleep for literally two weeks after this movie. Had nightmares constantly. And to this day, won't watch anything even close. Won't watch horror movies. Won't watch um, if there are scenes that are like homages to... Because to, to, it's, it's a very well-regarded film. Um, they... I mean, this movie ruined me for the entire genre. Parents, don't let your nine-year-old children have their, I don't know, 13-year-old friend, older sibling choose movies to watch. It doesn't work out so well. Crazy. So if they could just unmake, I might even have a healthy appetite for horror movies at this age. I don't know. But nope, I can't watch them. I mean, chicken and rice. (laughs) Chicken and rice. The dude basically peels his face off. Who needs to see this? Not nine-year-old me. Not nine-year-old me, I tell you, sir. I get it. Fair, totally fair. That's a good entry. It's a good personal entry because it's a great I actually think it's I actually think it's it's a really well done movie, but I also had the benefit of watching it as like an adult. 
Yeah, and I'm sure like it's a lot less scary as an adult. I'm sure some of the effects are much more campy and cheesy looking and all that. Yeah. But oh my god, was it real? Listen, I have a similar. I had a similar feeling with uh, Psycho because I watched that movie with my cousin way too young Ooh. and became a bath guy for a while. <laughs> <laughs> That's very well said. Uh, okay, so this week from we talked before, you don't have a super long list. So instead, we're going to do instead of contender pong, we're going to do wall pong, where I'm just going to say a movie. Jeremy's going to say should or should not have been made. Work for you, Jer? I'm in. Let's roll through them. Okay. June 6, 2008, 37% on Rotten Tomatoes. Don't mess with the Zohan. Oh, I kind of liked it. Okay, we'll leave it. That's fine. Probably in that don't ever rewatch group. For sure. Yeah. Uh, December 12, 1997 with a 29% on Rotten Tomatoes. Home Alone 3. Get rid of it. Okay. June 23, 2004 with a 15% White Chicks. Get rid of it. Okay. Uh, June 20, 2007, 14% on Rotten Tomatoes. The Love Guru. <laughs> Just, yeah, shouldn't exist because it completely ruined that Myers career. Yeah, that's right. Which is yeah. funny. There's, there was that fun little marathon there. It was like, who's going to make the worst movie this year? Is it Mike Myers or Adam Sandler? Right. Uh, December 14th, 1990, 13%. Look who's talking to. Uh, I've seen that one a few too many times. Yeah. I, the original was pretty good, though. The original was funny. Both two and now where the babies talk and then the dogs get rid of. Right. December 23rd, 1994 with a 10% Street Fighter. Oh, was that uh, uh, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme? Jean-Claude Van Damme was, yeah. Yeah, that was, you know, not as good as its rival movie and video game, Mortal Kombat. We're getting there. December 15th, 2018, with a 10%, this is a personal choice, Holmes and Watson. Oh, I heard it was terrible. Can't watch it, won't watch it. Sherlock Holmes means too much to me, and I like John C. Riley so much, and I don't want to ruin that. Fair enough. Uh, February 18th, 2005, with a 6%, Son of the Mask. (laughs) <laughs> probably okay uh february 27 2009 with a 5% street fighter the legend of chun li they kept going wow if you haven't seen that i i think jt i'm going to i'm going to push back on that one i think you have to watch that one if you're going to if you're going to try to strike it from the list i want you to have seen it street the legend of chun li yeah, that's right <laughs> okay i'll uh, i'll put that on the list uh <laughs> this one might be divisive we'll see july 22nd 1988 with a 4% it's a sequel um, 1980. Uh, this no, that's not Highlander too, because that was in the 90s. No, it's a movie that you really love. The first one, it's a generational one we've talked about on the podcast multiple times. Comedy. I'm, I'm tempted to say it's the Three Men and a Little Lady, but it's not that. No sequel, sequel. Well, that the Little Lady, oh, Little was Lady, the right? That's yeah. right. Oh, I'm blanking. I shouldn't be. Uh, City Slickers two. No, I love all the City Slickers. Caddyshack. Two. Oh yeah, no, Caddyshack two's got to go. Okay, good. I'm glad we're on the same page there. No, there's a couple of little moments that are cute, but it's 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 compared to how good Caddyshack is, you can't have it. Can't have it. Get rid of it. Uh, June 13th, 1997 with a 4% speed to cruise control. Absolutely. Of course. November 21st, 1997 with a 2% Mortal Kombat 2 Annihilation. <laughs> Absolutely. Terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, September 9th, 2011, with a 0% Bucky Larson, Born to be a Star. Don't know what it is. Horrible Nick Swartzen movie. And then my last one, this is just not really a a percentage of anything. I just can't believe this is true. They made four Beethoven movies. Four. The dog? Yeah. We should see which terrible franchise has the most movies. By the way, there's at least five Critters movies, just so you know that one. 
I remember Beethoven one and two, and then I forget the name. Charles Grodin, I think, is the dad in that movie. He just like bailed on three and four. There's like a fifth one, I think. I don't know. There's so many. But anyway, that was the list. Those are all the other ones I came up with. The Air Bud series. There's a lot. There's like 13 of them. There's so many. There's so many Air Bud movies. And one of them, like, I think they use a three-legged dog or something. Like, there's all I, these. Yeah. yeah. It just keeps getting weirder. I mean, good for that dog. And, you know, I guess th- it never dies. That's a great, that was a great list, JT. I think, uh, I think you did a good job at the wall punk. <laughs> I tried really. Well, like I said, once I got in, once I got into the mode of, like, 90s my time because all those movies came out basically in my world and there was a lot of bad movies in the 90s there were uh okay so let's do favorite thing jared what was your favorite thing on wingman this week um there was the i I really really enjoyed the uh what's it called the pack of packle bell um yeah yeah what, what what did you call it though Whatever the Pocket uh, one. You know what? I'm just thinking. I, I, I thought that actually is my number one. I'm just keeping it. I don't okay. have a number two. Yeah. So I said that it was, uh, turns out Pocket good at musicking. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you very quickly. The reason I liked it is I then spent like 20 more minutes down the rabbit hole of things like Axis of Awesome and the Pocket Bell Rant and all these other uh, great uh, YouTube music uh, thingies, compilations, whatever they were, yeah. that I was really fun to rewatch. I haven't seen each of those things in a few years. So. It wasn't necessarily that clip per se, but it, where it brought me to. Totally fair. Yeah. <clears throat> so that clip was my honorary mention, but my number one is the dolphin. That dolphin video is oh, out of this world. Crazy. It's like not real. Like that's yeah. not, that can't possibly be real. Not only, not only, by the way, I still can't prove it's real. Cause I, cause I, it does have that vibe that like, maybe it's not, but yet there doesn't seem to be anyone taking credit for creating it. And what's weirder is it doesn't seem to be going more viral than it. Like, I mean, I know being featured on Wingman should have made, been enough to like tip it over. Clearly. But it wasn't. And I, I don't know what it'll take at this point. Yeah, I have, I have no idea. Are we going to do a tease this week? I think we should. We are. We are. Let's do it. These are top five um, movies that w- we'll, we'll need to come up with a phrasing of this. Movies that we'd like to see a remake or reboot, but weren't necessarily bad. Just we think that they could, that the time might be right. Yeah. 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 Could have been bad. Could have been great. Right. No, 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 no definition on that firm. Just no movies. JT and I would like to see a rebate reboot. Yeah. Just movies that are ready for a reboot, either because they weren't good enough the first time or more specifically, maybe it's just because the time has changed and the story should be told again. Right. Right. I like it. Well, listen, this is, that'll be, it could take a positive or a negative spin. This week was negative, but I got to tell you, I laughed a lot both during the podcast and literally making this list made me laugh a ton. It's been a lot of fun. And, you know, I'm just going to try to spend the week avoiding, again, chicken and rice, clowns, my pool, closets, trees, and hallways. And I'm only remembering a dabbling of the scary, scary, (laughs) scary, scary stuff. I'm not sleeping tonight. Sorry. That's it. Uh, Well, good luck with that, Jeremy. And thanks for letting us be your wingman, everybody. (laughs) 